Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we look at the eventful time in the 2021 Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers. And we find out a bit about the Botswana national team. We hear from their Algerian coach, Adele Amrouche, and they could be the only men's national team in the world with a female assistant. That's Dr. Caroline Brown from Germany. Of course, uh, for the world, it's still, it's still something new, um, but it's still the same. It's football. Also, the English Premier League is back this weekend. We ask if Tottenham did the right thing in firing manager Mauricio Pochettino and replacing him with Jose Mourinho. But let's start with the 2021 Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers. A hectic week of action saw the teams playing two games each, with the remaining four rounds of matches on next year, and the top two in each group qualify for the finals in Cameroon. Well, the biggest story so far has to be the Comoros, who are top of Group G. They won 1-0 away to Togo and then held Egypt to a goalless draw as they look to qualify for the first time. Surprise quarter-finalists in Egypt this year, Madagascar, are carrying on from where they left off, topping Group K with six points, including a thumping 6-2 win away to Niger. The holders Algeria have two wins from two, as do Senegal, Ghana, Nigeria and Tunisia. A great start for the Gambia with four points from two games, including a home draw against DR Congo. Uh, Zambia have no points from their two games. Well, the next matches are a long way away in August and September of next year. So, Ida, what stands out for you so far? Well, Steve, as you've said there, I mean, Comoros, you know, absolutely outstanding. And I can imagine I'm not the only one who's been super impressed with uh, their performance. And I actually hope, I genuinely hope that the team will be able to take it all the way through to the Africa Cup of Nations in 2021. I think that uh, the win over Togo, I think it already sounded out early warnings, you know. Um, but ultimately, their draw with seven-time champions Egypt, Steve, I think got a lot of them on uh, many people's radar and it must have been such a huge confidence boost for a team that's ranked 142nd in the world you know and uh, you could see just what it meant to the fans I mean they invaded the new pitch (laughs) at the final whistle and just trying to take the story a bit forward none of us really know if CAF will be sanctioning the country for the invasion of the pitch but look at the time (laughs) and with the sort of raw emotion that was witnessed on that pitch, I think that was the furthest thing from their minds, if you ask me. Uh, But Comoros, of course, um, they are gunning for their first Africa Cup of Nations. We did see what uh, debutants Madagascar did in their Nations Cup. And I think that really served as motivation for a lot of the underdogs, Steve, just to let them know and give them some belief that indeed they can. Well, um, another standout uh, must have been uh, Ivory Coast being beaten by Ethiopia. A lot of people were shocked by that result, Steve. But let me tell you, and I was just having this conversation the other day, the Bahir Dar Stadium in Ethiopia, Steve, might low-key actually be one of the most intimidating stadiums in the continent. And trust, when it comes to national games, 
it's normally packed to capacity. And Ethiopia has actually beaten many teams at home simply because of the 12th man. And then funnily enough, Steve, actually gone on to lose the reverse fixture away. So I don't know if it's a mental thing, but the Bahidar is a serious, serious stadium. And um, just very quickly, uh, you've mentioned Algeria there, Stephen. Yes, it's been a brilliant year for the Desert Foxes. Of course, uh, they took home the, the Nations Cup. But I think another milestone, Steve, that's going pretty much overlooked is the fact that their side A, if you will, you know, that being the team that the national team that didn't take part in the Chan, their side A will also finish 2019 unbeaten. Yeah, they've uh, posted 12 wins in the calendar year and four draws, including that very memorable 3-0 win over Colombia. I think that's absolutely outstanding. Yeah, great year for Algeria. So they top Group H with six points. Uh, Zimbabwe have four points. Botswana one and Zambia no points. Uh, Zambia lost 5-0 away to Algeria, then were beaten 2-1 at home to Zimbabwe in Lusaka. Well, here in Harare, we had a disappointing start for Zimbabwe, held to a goalless draw by Botswana, then making amends with that win away to Zambia. Now, Botswana have a modest squad of mostly home-based players and a new coach, Adel Amrouche, who has Algerian and Belgian nationality and has coached the national teams of Equatorial Guinea, Burundi, Kenya and Libya, and clubs including Algerian giants MC Alger and USM Alger. Well, Amrouche joined Botswana in August, so this was his first competitive game with the Zebras. He'd dropped four players from the squad for disciplinary reasons after they were caught drinking alcohol last month, saying that they wouldn't be considered until appropriate action is taken. Well, Amrouche told me that discipline is very important to him. Yeah, you know, of course I'm, I'm new in this team, but you know, I must change before the attitude you know before this game I put uh, four players out about uh, drinking alcohol after that I put 17 players because about the attitude you know when we talk about shisha in the football uh, taba this thing no it's not a good example I take a risk it's not a risk for me this is my principle of life and we, I am coach I must give the good example for my players and I chose this player who want to play football you know uh, with the principle of the game, with the principle of life, what you can find in the football. Uh, the first thing is the change of the attitude. This again, you bring this spirit in the team, the fighting spirit. And the last, of course, I bring this tactical touch because, uh, you know, it's not easy if you don't have, if you don't have knowledge to put all your tactical about the quality for this player because our league is not too high league. It's very low level. This is reality, you know. Ah, but uh, we plan, you know. In football, you don't know what happens always. You must push people uh, around. There are some people around the federation also who must clean uh, some mentality because, you know, they, you don't think for the progress for the team. They think only how to make some small money in the pocket. You know, this is uh, Africa for us. You know, what we can do, we must change people around before when we can do something with the team. That's the Botswana national team coach, Adel Amrouche, who has dual nationality, Algerian and Belgian. Uh, before we talk about some of the points there in that interview, uh, Ida Amrouche has a bit of history with you there in Kenya. 
<laughs> a bit of history, Steve, is an understatement. <laughs> you know, uh, Amrush was actually head coach of uh, the Kenya football team, the Harambe Stars. Um, he managed them for just about a year and a half. He posted eight wins, six draws, and uh, three losses. So his record wasn't uh, wasn't too bad with Kenya. Now. It was a bit acrimonious how he left, though, because he was actually sacked after Kenya lost out to Lesotho. That was in the 2015 Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers. And all the drama, Steve, uh, basically started after that. Uh, His contract was supposed to be for five years. So, of course, it was terminated well before then. So he sued the Football Kenya Federation at FIFA and was awarded, get this, he was awarded $600,000. Now, Amrush wasn't satisfied with the 600000 so he then lodged an appeal at the Court of Arbitration for Sport and was actually awarded a further $1 million, Steve. That's making for a total of $1.6 million that Adele Rouge will actually take home with him from the Football Kenya Federation. So the first $600,000 was paid. Now, this most recent $1 million, because the verdict came in just in the course of the last half of 2019, just about maybe two months ago. So the Football Kenya Federation is broke, currently very, very broke, and they are, you know, at odds, wondering how they'll be able to to meet the $1 million. And the thing is, failure to pay will actually see Kenya locked out of the 2022 FIFA World Cup qualifiers in case of that default. So it's a very tricky situation. Well, we had something similar here in Zimbabwe back in 2015 when the Brazilian coach Valinios was owed $67,000 in salary for working with the Zimbabwe national team. He went to FIFA and won his case and Zimbabwe were banned from the qualifiers for the 2018 World Cup. Uh, then we were given an ultimatum to pay Tom Sanfier $180,000 or be thrown out of the qualifying for the 2022 World Cup. Uh, Sanfier, who's Belgian and is now the Gambia coach, was in charge of Zimbabwe back in 2010 for just a few days but then work permit issues meant he had to leave the country and the Zimbabwe FA had to settle that debt. Anyway, very interesting comments in that interview. Amrush is very concerned about discipline and also not afraid to say that he wants to weed out the dead wood at the Botswana Football Association. Administrators who he alleges are just out to line their own pockets. Yes, on uh, discipline issues, Amrush Always, he always gave as good as he got because I remember back when he was coach of the Kenya football team, um, I remember he was suspended for one year, you can imagine, by CAF for what was gross misconduct in a game. But the thing is, if you actually talk to anyone who knows Amrush well or worked under him, they all mention discipline as a cog in his philosophy. And I think it's very necessary, Steve. I mean, you can't have players drinking, smoking, because, you know, ultimately that sort of lifestyle will manifest on the pitch in the form of a lack of fitness. Um, and as a result, we can see of uh, Amrusha's tough stance, the Botswana FA has finally drawn up a code of conduct for its players. Uh, but I think Even bigger than that, Steve, is that it's hard to believe that in 2019, 
there's a football federation or a football association you know functioning without a code of conduct for the players i think that's the that's the big story there if you ask me um it just shows you the level of seriousness with which uh, we take our football and our sports um about corrupt administrators look i think it goes without saying definitely it's a really really prevalent issue in um african football that definitely needs to be filtered out Indeed, we'll see if, as a coach, he's able to make any inroads. So that's the Botswana head coach, Adele Amrush. And very interestingly, he's appointed a female assistant coach. That's Dr. Carolyn Brown, who's from Germany. She was on the bench for the first time for the Zimbabwe game. Now, Dr. Brown went to Botswana in February for two years to assist in coach education, talent identification and women's football, and now has been given this additional duty as national team assistant. She has a UEFA A coach. license and is a sports scientist and has worked with the Gambia Football Federation in the past on a short-term contract. She's in Botswana under the German Olympic Sports Confederation. Well, I asked Dr. Brown what reaction she's getting as a female assistant coach with a men's national team. Of course, uh, for the world it's still it's still something new and um, at first probably everybody is looking is this really a woman or um but it's still the same it's football for me it's football and i love uh, working with uh, the women as well as working with the men because for me like i said it's 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 one game and uh, it's even better if if young uh, girls who are talented playing with boys and that uh, we are getting rid of um any kind of of uh, things we are thinking is not for girls a sport but uh, of course the uh, female assistant coaches in national teams i i don't know if there's any existing so far so it's a good good sign and a very important sign uh, nowadays to to show that uh, it's not a problem at all and for the players it's fine we are just working as uh, we are not talking about you boy you girl it's it's about it's about football and uh, as long as you have knowledge they highly respect to respect you and i think that's that's exactly the point they have a phd in sports science so probably a bit uh, what uh, most coaches don't have but uh, of course there's still also for me there's a lot to improve that's that's uh, that's for sure um and uh, i'm always willing to learn also in coach education if i uh, as an instructor i also learn from from the participants sometimes things and and that's it like never stop learning that's what i think So that's Dr. Caroline Brown, she's from Germany. She may well be the only woman who's part of the coaching team of a senior men's national team being with the Zebras of Botswana. Very interesting, Ida. It most definitely catches the eye, Steve. I mean, there's still some way to go though, to be honest, in um women's football in Africa. But I do think that with progressive thinkers like Adelam Rouge, the Botswana FA, then I think we're definitely on the right track. It's still a struggle though um getting the women's national teams to be coached by women you know let's start there let alone anything else uh but the likes of South Africa's head coach um Desiree Ellis really breaking uh, a lot of barriers for those coming after her and really paving the way um on a club level it would be my hope that one day the women's leagues in Africa would actually be strong enough Steve to warrant a CAF Champions League of their own that's what i would envision the future of women's uh, football and development in africa would be at least on a club level 
but on the bright side, I mean, the under-23 Afghan definitely provided some positive moments. We saw female match officials, Steve, appointed for the second time in a male calf competition. So just to go through them quickly, uh, that was Rwandan referee Salma Mukesanga. And uh, she was joined by assistant referees Diana Chikotesha from Zambia and Fatia Jermumi from Morocco. So I think that's definitely a step in the right direction, you know. Um, and internationally, we've seen the likes of UEFA, you know, the Bundesliga, the La Liga, all give female referees a chance. So hopefully Africa will be able to borrow a leaf from that. Yes, women making inroads. And uh, just before you go, Ida, the under-17 FIFA World Cup was bad for Africa, but you did make a correct prediction that the host Brazil would take it. As did I also about Egypt making it to the under-23 Afghan final. (laughs) I'm just saying. I do have to toot my own horn every once in a while, Steve. But yes, um, Brazil definitely looked strong right from the start. And uh, they didn't have some of the issues that really plagued the African countries. I remember when we were previewing the tournament and uh, Cameroon were already struggling for, for fans, you know, even before the start of the tournament. Plus, ultimately, Steve, Brazil were the hosts. So in one way or another, they definitely did have a slight advantage because of that. Uh, But ultimately, I do think that this should instead be a wake-up call to the African countries to do better next time. I mean, it was an absolutely dismal performance, you know, and um, hopefully we can be able to look at what's wrong and be able to try and fix it before the next edition. Indeed. Well, thanks, Ida. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs, too, in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. We're now to social media, and with a third of the English Premier League season gone, there are a few surprises in the standings, with Leicester City currently in second, and Manchester United, Tottenham and Arsenal all struggling at the moment. Most people think that Liverpool and Manchester City will finish in the top two. Last week we asked, which other teams do you think will join them and why? Here's Planet Sport Football Africa's Adrian Barnard. Well, thanks then, Stephen. We've had another huge response to our question this week. And we'll start with Mamadou Bar in the Gambia. Yes, City and Liverpool will finish in the top two, and then they'll be followed by Chelsea and Leicester City. Why? Because Lampard and Rogers' teams are really on fire, and I don't see them slowing down any time. Spurs, Arsenal and Manchester United are all short of options now, and I don't see them finding form any time soon, says Mamadou. And Francisco Dodoma in Malawi agrees. Look at the fighting spirit of the teams, says Francisco. I anticipate Liverpool, Manchester City, Chelsea and Leicester will finish in the top four. Jesse Rando in Sierra Leone is thinking along similar lines. The other two teams in the top four will be between Chelsea, Leicester and Manchester United. So Jesse's believing there that United will find some form to climb up the league over the coming months. And Modu Hadara in the Gambia agrees. I think Manchester United will make the top four, says Modu. And Jamba Sata, also in the Gambia, also sees United climbing up the table, 
I really believe before the end of the season the table will change and United and Chelsea will fill the top four places, says Jamba. Leicester, I'm sure, will be in the top six. They're going really fine at the moment, but the moment the injuries start, it will really affect them, especially Vardy, Madison and Perez. Now, if they got injured, it would really affect the team, just as happened to Manchester United in the absence of Pogba and Martial too. Patrick Mwamlima in Malawi says, quite simply, the top four will be completed by Chelsea and Leicester. But... Mumba Irene Gerra in Zambia offers a different view. I think Tottenham will make the top four, says Mumba, because they reached fourth place last season despite not making any signings during the previous two transfer windows. The other team may be either Arsenal or Manchester United. Arsenal have significantly improved their front players, their back four and midfield. And with the likes of David Luiz and Kieran Tierney, they stand a better chance of being in the top four than Manchester United and Chelsea. Malik E. Bojang in The Gambia says, As much as I hate to say it, Liverpool will win the Premier League, Manchester City will come second, Leicester will finish third and Chelsea fourth. And we always welcome your voice notes here on Planet Sports Football Africa. And here's Abrima Kante in The Gambia. Honestly, I'm going for Liverpool vying for them to win the trophy this season. As a Chelsea fan, we started so well. We are just flying under Lampard, our legend. And I'm sure finishing in a top four will be a big plus for us. And the way things are going, so we are going to finish in the top four. So, Ibrima there sharing his view that Chelsea will achieve a top four place. Now, we've had plenty of support for Leicester finishing in the top four, but Mohamed in the UK goes even further. Leicester City will top the Premier League, says Mohamed. Well, that's a very interesting prediction, but of course the Foxes have surprised us before, most notably when they won the title under Claudio Ranieri back in the 2015-16 season. But Mamor Janya in the Gambia disagrees. I think Leicester will not make the top four because fatigue is going to be the problem for them, says Mamoura. I think Chelsea and Arsenal are the likely two to join Liverpool and City. However, Emma in Ghana believes Leicester will be up there come the end of the season. Along with City and Liverpool, Arsenal and Leicester City will finish in the top four, says Emma. And finally, Mustafa Toure in The Gambia speaks for many when he says... Chelsea and Leicester will finish behind Liverpool and Manchester City. They're showing gradual consistency. Their game performances are improving all the time and they're picking points up where necessary, unlike Spurs, Arsenal and Manchester United. So there you have it, Steve, and it's interesting to see so many of our correspondents this week choosing Leicester and Chelsea to be up among the top four at the end of the season. Clearly, Frank Lampard and Brendan Rodgers are making an impression. Thanks, Adrian. Not much optimism concerning Tottenham's chances there. Now, the biggest story of this week, the firing of manager Mauricio Pochettino and Spurs replacing him with Jose Mourinho. Now, a lot of doubts have been voiced about whether this move will work. Stuart Weir, our European football expert, joins us from the UK. Uh, So, Stuart, Tottenham struggling. Did Pochettino have to go? I don't think it was at all inevitable. Tottenham's decision to fire Maurizio Pochettino after five years took the football world by surprise. Ex-England and Tottenham legend Gary Lineker tweeted, He helped the club to punch massively above their weight for years. 
good luck with finding a better replacement. But it ain't going to happen. It's incredible to think that it's only six months since he took Tottenham to a Champions League final. Perhaps eight months ago the question was, could Tottenham hold on to him? Or would he go to Real Madrid or Manchester United who were chasing him? And now he's out of work. In his five years at the club, Tottenham finished in the top four, four of the five seasons, something that he'd only managed twice in the previous 20. Under Pochettino, Tottenham took 382 Premier League points in five seasons, bettered only by Manchester City, Liverpool and Chelsea. But he's not actually won anything, not even the League Cup. The problem is that Tottenham are currently 14th, with only three Premier League wins this season, and there was that embarrassing 7-2 home defeat to Bayern Munich. There are also rumours that he's fallen out with key players, like Christian Eriksen, Deli Alli. The argument is simply that he's taken the club as far as he can, and the owners just don't have confidence he can turn Tottenham's season around. And then, within 12 hours, it's announced that Jose Mourinho is to succeed him. Mourinho comes with a great track record at Porto, Chelsea, Inter Milan, Real Madrid, where he won trophies, but he really failed at Manchester United. And a further problem is that Tottenham supporters love Pochettino, and they've been used to disliking Mourinho and his style of football, and see him as a manager of rival clubs, Chelsea and Manchester United. Pochettino was at Tottenham for five years, and incredibly, Mourinho has never stayed five years at any club. It looks to me like a panic reaction and a quick fix. Will it work? Keep on listening and we'll find out. Well, I must say, I just can't make sense of it myself. Pochettino did so well with Spurs and Tottenham are not traditionally big spenders. Now they went for two transfer windows without any signings at all, while Mourinho's always wanted cash for big signings. So will Tottenham give him the money? We'll have to see, but it doesn't seem like the right fit to me. So the English Premier League back this weekend after the international break and Spurs in the early kickoff on Saturday. They play away to West Ham in a London derby. Leaders Liverpool away to Crystal Palace. Man City host Chelsea in the standout fixture. And Man United away to Sheffield United, who are two places above them in fifth. Now, we talked about Liverpool and Man City last week and the nine-point gap between them and a lot of other talking points. Uh, Chelsea doing very well now, Stuart. Yeah, well, managers are often a little anxious about the first fixture after an international break because they're unsure what state the players will return. And I know a bit about this, having just come back from Dubai myself, an eight-hour flight, and Brazil uh, were in the United Arab Emirates playing two games last week. So the question is really, in what state will some of those Liverpool, Manchester City and Chelsea Brazilian players be? Will they return tired? And the fixture computer has not been kind to either of the top two. Funny, I'm actually calling Manchester City the top two when they're really fourth, but somehow you feel that they are still the team most likely to challenge Liverpool. Liverpool away to Crystal Palace may seem an easy game, but don't forget Palace's remarkable results against top four teams in the past two seasons. Liverpool could struggle in that one. Manchester City at home to Chelsea, and as you say, Chelsea have been so impressive. And of course, they come to Manchester on the back of six straight Premier League wins. Manchester City, on the other hand, have lost two of their last five. 
And it does seem a bit dramatic in November to talk about a must-win game. But defeat for Manchester City really is unthinkable, but it's very possible. On the question of who will be in the top four, we're assuming that Liverpool and Manchester City will stay there. Leicester and Chelsea are in the positions now, and they both look very strong. And it's an eight-point drop before you come to Sheffield United and Arsenal, of course. But if you were to say which other team is most likely to come up, you know, Arsenal, Manchester United, Tottenham, yes, they certainly have the ambitions, but none of them are really showing the consistency. So I think I would just agree with a lot of our listeners that it's probably got to be the four who are there at the moment. I don't know if you noticed, Steve, but when England beat Kosovo last week, Harry Winks and Harry Kane both scored. And that's the first time the two players with the same Christian name have scored in the same game for England for 15 years. And the last time it was Wayne, Rooney and Bridge. We've talked a bit in the past about attendances at women's football. And there were two internationals at Wembley last week. The England women's team played Germany before a crowd of 77,768. And the England men played Montenegro and the crowd was 500 less. And with no Premier League games last weekend because of the international break, several of the women's Super League games were played in the main stadium. And in the new Tottenham Stadium, 38,000 saw Tottenham play Arsenal. And Liverpool played Everton at Anfield with 23,000 attending. So that's some really encouraging developments for women's football. Well, and with a hugely successful FIFA Women's World Cup, it's been a really good year for women's football. Well, thanks very much, Stuart. That's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Wairinga in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir and Adrian Barnard in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.